everyone. Thank you all for tuning in to episode 2 of In Crime. Before we jump in, I'd like to thank everyone for the overwhelmingly positive response I received after episode 1. Also, a big thank you to everyone who gave me tips on how to improve my audio and narration staples. I do hope to get better with my recording and editing and background scores. So yeah, just a very very big thank you. Today I will be covering one of India's most prolific killers, Anjana Bai, Seema Gavit and Renuka Shinde. I'd like to think that I'm pretty desensitized to gore and murder, but this case really sent a shiver down my spine. Ruthless is an understatement when it comes to describing these women. Just a trigger warning before I begin, there will be child abuse in this case. So if that is not something you would like to listen to, I'd suggest skipping this one. So let's get into it. In the 1980s, Anjana Bai was gaining quite a reputation of being a petty thief. She lived in Kotrud, Pune, and was not satisfied with being just a housewife. She was 58 at this stage and was making a living from thieving and pickpocketing in railway stations and festivals. Anjana grew up poor and there was a degree of caste marginalization. These are factors that can drive someone to a life of crime. Petty thieving was the only way she knew how to make ends meet. Sometime in the 1970s, Anjana gave birth to her two daughters, Renuka and Seema. Renuka's father is unknown, but Seema's father was Anjana's then husband Mohit Gavit. I say then husband because sometime in the 1980s, Mohan gets tired of Anjana's altercations with the law and decides to leave her and the children. He gets remarried to another woman, Pratibha, and this absolutely destroys Anjana Bai. She reverts to her old ways of thieving and is not remorseful at all. Supposedly, after her marriage ended, she had 125 pending cases of robbery against her. Her two daughters, Seema and Renuka, also lived under the same roof along with Anjana Bai. In the same year, her mother was experiencing a broken marriage. Renuka fell in love. She met a tailor, Kiran Shinde, and they soon got married and Kiran moved into the house. Kiran was the only one with a steady income working as a tailor. Soon Renuka gave birth to their son Sudhir Shinde. So by the beginning of 1990 there were five people living in the one BHK in Kotrud Lane Pune. Anjana Bai, Renuka and Kiran Shinde, Seema Gavit and Sud. The two daughters who are now in their early 20s follow their mother's suit and take up petty crime to put food on the table. Renuka now especially desperate as she had two mouths to feed. They had the same MO as their mother: find a chaotic, populous area, usually outside of a temple on an auspicious day like Amavasya or a railway station, and pickpocket wallets and gold necklaces. Allegedly, the matriarch Anjana Bai instructed them where to go, how to do it, and what their limit for the day was. The daughters claim that at this stage they were just following instructions. In the following years, her instructions, however, get far more sinister. Anjana Bai was still bitter about her husband and his new wife and devised a plan of vindication. She instructed her children to kidnap her ex-husband and wife's youngest daughter Kranti. Her daughters obliged. They kidnapped the girl and murdered her. Details about this murder are unknown, but there was definitely a hue and cry. The police officers made an honest attempt to find the missing girl, but to no avail. The women after killing a 4-year-old girl in cold blood moved on with their lives with petty thieving and pickpocketing. As if this was not life-changing enough, in 1990 something changed for the three women. 
Renuka was performing her usual daily routine of robbing unsuspecting women outside the temple. She was holding her newborn son Sudhir and tried to snatch a gold chain. She was however caught and she quickly put Sudhir as a foil. She begged and pleaded and played the mother card. She asked the women around her, "How can a mother like me steal?" She even swore on her son's life. All this did the trick and the crowd did let her go and Renuka ran. She ran as fast as her legs would take her and rushed to her mother and sister. She had found the elixir. She explained to them the sheer advantage of having a child while stealing, the sympathy women would have for them and the ease with which one can distract and elude. This, this was the catalyst. The women from here on out always took Sudhir along with their robberies. They used him as a distraction or a way to gain empathy from women. Notoriously, children are known to grow and develop extremely quickly when they're that young. The women quickly realized that a newborn or a toddler is a much better prop for stealing compared to a preschooler, as someone between the ages of three to five. Another addition to their lives was a brand new car Kiran, Renuka's husband, managed to buy. So, along with this new mode of transportation and the revelation that newborns are the provocation, their crimes quickly escalated to kidnapping. So in 1990 the same year Renuka kidnapped Santosh a 18 month old baby from Pune like most children in this case Santosh belonged to a below the poverty line family cases of kidnapping from families like this are usually heard on deaf ears as police firstly don't take them seriously and secondly the whereabouts and leads in accordance with the child are hard to trace cases are lodged FIRs are filed but the cases always remain cold and are never pursued in 2015 india ranked second in the kidnapping hotspots of the world in the year 2020 over 59000 children went missing and 39.3% of these cases originated from sections below the poverty line as well as marginalized castes like dalits santosh was one such child renuka seema and anjana exploited his young age and went on multiple crime rampages on one such day anjana was holding baby santosh and renuka was attempting to steal a gold necklace outside a temple anjana noticed that renuka was being sloppy and almost getting caught and so she flung santosh onto the road with moving traffic he sustains bruises and cuts and immediately starts wailing this caused a huge hush and cry from the crowd outside and renuka was able to escape with the chain A few meters from the temple the three women walk along with Santosh who is still crying and profusely bleeding the women make no attempt to console him Anjana bai suddenly snaps irritated by the child's scream bashes his head into an electric pole the wail stop as Santosh dies from the head injury the women very calmly wrap the boy's body in a blanket and leave him in an auto rickshaw docking yard the body was discovered the next morning and identified the body was identified and returned to santosh's parents however the case did not proceed further police paid no heed and the parents were just relieved that they received his body to perform the last rites and that was a rarity the lack of interest in the case assured renuka anjana bai and seema that this was in fact a full proof crime there was nothing tracing it back to them and they could quote and quote dispose of these children when their purpose of distraction was fulfilled 
and thus began their frenzy of kidnapping and child murder. From 1990, that is Santosh's murder, to 1996, these women kidnapped 13 children and murdered at least five of them. I was able to pull up some of the incidents from the court documents, but the problem with court documents is that they lack any sort of empathy. I will try to do my best to narrate this story and do the victims justice. In March 1992, Naresh was kidnapped. The women kept him for 5 months and then abandoned him in Nashik. Naresh was found alive and well. So, as you can see, the three women are also expanding their geographical bubble. not repeating the crime in just pune diverted the cops from connecting these kidnapping and murder so they're escalating and getting smarter between crimes by now the family has perfected their crime kiran would be their getaway driver anjana bai would be in the front seat of the car and seema and renuka would go child hunting they would pick their victims with the same mo as they did their petty thieving find a distracted mother preferably with a toddler in a busy area like a railway station Seema and Renuka would indicate which child to kidnap one of them would distract the crowd if necessary and the other would grab and sprint to the running car and make a dash for it After Naresh the next child however was not so fortunate Bunty as he was affectionately known by his mother was kidnapped when he was 1 year old from Kalyan railway station The women used him for 3 months to commit their petty thievery. During these 3 months, Bunty was exposed to insurmountable torture. He would refuse to eat, insisting that his mother would feed him. The women used to beat him into submission and Bunty was malnourished. He passed away one day when Anjana Bai beat him extremely hard. They disposed of his body near Kopli in the Bombay Pune highway. Guddu was kidnapped in May 1993 from BT railway station in Bombay. He was 1 and 1/2 years old and the women kept him in their custody for a month before they killed him and disposed of his body in the same place where Bunty was found. Shockingly, the police made no connection between these two boys being found despite being found only 1 month of each other. The cooling off period was negligible between these two kidnappings. As soon as the women killed Bunty, they kidnapped Guddu, and a month later, he was dead too. Meena was also kidnapped almost immediately after Guddu's death. She was abandoned a few months after being used as a foil, and the women let her go. She made a full physical recovery from all the abuse and grew up in the children's home, an orphanage in Pune. Meena's case was reported, and a complaint was lodged. However, close to 10 kidnappings done by these women fly under the radar as parents are just relieved that their child is back. A lot is not known about the children who make it safely home from the clutches of these women. The women seem to take a break from murder after the death of Guddu. They just stick to good old kidnapping. For almost a year they lay low without any killing. In October 1994 though, the women kidnapped 2-year-old Pinky who they kept in their custody for 40 days before killing and disposing her off in Godale Nagar Pune the woman would suffocate their victim by putting their head in a plastic bag in january 1996 the women kidnap and murder bhavna they abduct her from masoba vegetable market bhavna was with the women for 4 months before anjana bai annoyed by her constant wailing gagged her with a rag they then bundled her into a handbag 
This child was 18 months and so tiny in case you needed any reminder. They stuffed her into a handbag and left this bag in a movie theater washroom before watching a movie just 100 meters away from where they dropped her body. On July 27, 1996, the women kidnapped Pankaj, who was four years old. They picked him up from Vital Mandir, Bombay and kept him in their custody for a month. Pankaj, a little older than their usual kidnap victims, would talk to passers-by during their thieving expeditions. He would try to get the attention of strangers and explain his situation. The women quickly realized Pankaj was more trouble than a foil. They murdered him in the most brutal way yet. As a punishment for opening his mouth, the women would hang him upside down from the ceiling. On 11th September, Pankaj was hung and he was swung until his head was bashed against the wall and he died from this head injury. The women disposed of his lifeless body may a hundred meters away from their residence in Kotro. When I was talking to people about what my next episode was going to be, I went around telling everyone that I was covering Indian serial killers. But after the extensive research I did on this case, I very quickly realized it would be wrong to classify Anjana Bai, Seema and Renuka as serial killers. Serial killers murder for gratification, so this could be sexual like Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, or hedonistic reasons like Ed Kemper, who kill for the thrill. The same way you don't classify contract killers as serial killers, these women are not serial killers. Their motives were more opportunistic. They needed their victim as a stepping stone to achieve their ultimate goal, which is thieving. They received no pleasure from the murder itself, it was done for convenience. Although saying that, they do share a ton of common features in their MO with serial killers. They have more than three victims. They have a cooling off period between kills. And they spread their crimes over a vast geographical location. So it is understandable why these women are referred to as serial killers everywhere in news articles and documentaries. But yes, myth busted, I guess. Towards the end of 1996, the residents of Pune were clutching their children close. Rumours of serial kidnappers were rampant, as well as news of children's bodies being found in Pune and Bombay. The slums saw a decrease in children playing and an increase in women leaving their kids at home before going to the temple. The women were struggling to find kidnapping victims. The city and the police were on high alert. In these times of desperation, they made a grave mistake. One, that would be their downfall. Do you guys remember Mohit Gavit, Anjana Bai's ex-husband, the one with the new wife? The women's first victim was their youngest daughter, Kranti, back in 1990. Apparently, Anjana Bai was still not over her husband leaving her because when they did not have children to kidnap at their disposal, Anjana devised a plan to kidnap Mohit and Pratibha's oldest daughter. They would operate the same way. Kiran and Anjana were stationed in their getaway car, while Renuka and Seema went to pick up the girl. They brought her back to the car and sped back home. The Gavits quickly alerted the police and Pratibha aired her suspicions. She pointed the finger at Anjana Bai, exactly how she did years ago after the murder of Kranti. The police too were convinced that this kidnapping was different from the ones happening in the city and the Gavits were being targeted. Mandaleshwar Madhav Rao Kale was the lead investigating officer for this kidnapping. He is the true hero in this story. He works tirelessly to make timelines and establish the women's involvement. So Officer Mandaleshwar is definitely assured that these women are responsible for the kidnapping of Gavit's oldest daughter 
and the murder of their youngest daughter Kranti in 1990. Little did he know, while digging a little deeper, the can of worms this investigation would open and he was not prepared. It would lead to the unravelling of a spate of crimes unlike any he would see in a career that spanned 36 years. The police officers barge into the woman's residence in Kothrud and rescue the girl. They bring the three women into custody as well as Renuka's husband Kiran Shinde. The place did show evidence of multiple kidnapping and blood evidence, but the police did not know how far the crime went. Yet anyway, in the interrogation the women did not crack, especially Anjana Bai. The officers in the investigation described it. She would just stare straight ahead. she would not talk make eye contact or even move she was a rock there is a documentary slash film made on this case it's called poshim pa and it tries very hard to be a psychological thriller i ended up watching it in lieu of research for this episode and although it is heavily dramatized i think the interrogation scenes are accurate based on the reports and these scenes are haunting it's just a single shot of anjana staring straight into the camera and it really did give me the shivers the documentary i think does a good job of telling the story without being too gory and they also try to humanize the three women the three actors also do a phenomenal job but the parts that they try too hard to be creepy i think took me out of the movie i mean overall i would recommend poshampa i think it's on ztv if you want to stream it back to the investigation um for almost weeks the women refused to talk they would not admit to anything finally the youngest daughter seema cracked she confessed to kidnapping over 13 children and murdering at least 5 of them she told the officers that they had lost count the cops finally got the break they needed they used this information to leverage kiran shinde who turned an informant for immunity The timeline of events and details of the murders available to us are from Kiran Shinde's testimony. Renika too started confessing. She corroborated her sister and husband's account of the story. The case was nothing but straightforward from here on out. The police had the task of piecing together the timelines and trying to find as many kidnapped children to testify to this story. Heartbreakingly, they found out that after being abandoned by the women, close to 10 children never found their way home and were never found after that and as the crimes were spread out geographically the police too had to expand their area of jurisdiction and force communication between stations for example bunty and guddu's murder charges were placed from kopoli police station while the majority of them were from kothrud police station in total there were charges against the women from kopoli kothrud shahupuri rajwada and sarkarwada police stations and these are just the kidnapping and murder charges the thieving charges far exceeded these jurisdictions the police tried to prove that it was all part of one big kidnapping plan and it was submitted before the magistrate that having regard to the provisions of the code of criminal procedure 1973 it was permissible to submit a single charge sheet in respect of the different crimes though the crimes were committed within the jurisdiction of the various police stations in the state of maharashtra because the crimes are part of the same like single conspiracy the women were arrested in kothrud and thus singularly tried in the court of law so i wanted to dig a little deeper into the kidnapping law in india and what it entails so according to section 363 in the indian penal code it is the forceful taking of a child or a person with or without that consent if a child is below 18 consent is irrelevant 
The most common motive for kidnapping in India is ransom. Although there is no separate charge for this, it is punishable under the same section. The offender shall be punished with imprisonment for a term which may extend to seven years and shall also be liable to a fine for aggravating kidnapping, that is kidnapping which is accompanied by bodily injury. It's a prison term up to 10 years. For multiple kidnappings, the charge are placed subsequently. Just for the kidnappings alone, the women were looking at 130 years in prison. In December 1997, the women were in prison awaiting a court date. Photographs of the women from this time show two healthy-looking young women. Renaka is dressed in a sari with jewellery, a traditional Marathi nose ring and a hair garland. Seema stares blankly into the camera, dressed in a blue salwar kameez. Anjana Bai, now 75 years old, dies in custody. After hearing about the death of their mother, Renuka and Seema start singing a different tune. They claim that they were innocent and purely acted under their mother's instructions. They state that they too were in fear of their lives. From 2000 to 2004, the sisters were represented by advocate Manik Mulik at lower court. He filed multiple appeals stating his client's innocence. In 2004, the case finally went to trial. The trial lasted a whopping three years. Public prosecutor Jaiswal Nikam worked closely with the parents of the victims and tried to stay in touch with them almost seven years after the crime was committed. The two women pleaded not guilty, stating that they were only kidnapping and murdering due to their mother's injunction. The sisters also cite their young age at the time the crimes were committed. Renuka was 21 and Seema was 19 at the time of their first murder in 1990, as well as the abandonment of their father at a young age in their defence. The sisters were found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging in 2004. The Supreme Court put out this statement following the verdict. Going by the details of this case, we find no mitigating circumstances in favour of the appealant, except for the fact that they are women. Further, the nature of the crime and the systemic way in which each child was kidnapped, killed, amply demonstrates the depravity of the mind of the appealants. The two sisters have been in Yerwada Central Jail since 2004 on death row. They have applied for multiple mercy pleas since their verdict. And over the years, they have been only a handful photographs of the pair. The last from their sentencing in 2004, which reveals shriveled frames and gaunt faces. After the Supreme Court verdict, the sisters were separated with Renuka sent to Nagpur Jail. A human rights lawyer who worked closely with Renuka in this period to ensure she had access to her son, Sadir, recalls Renuka to be a woman with bouts of irritability at being kept from her sister. She would also continuously fret over the future of her son, who had been taken to juvenile home in Kolhapur. The two sisters were finally united after several requests and promises of good behaviour. In 2010, the women appealed to the then-president, and after Pranab Mukherjee rejected their mercy pleas in 2014, they approached the Bombay High Court seeking commutation of their death sentence on the ground that the state had taken an inordinate time, causing an unexplained delay in seeking their mercy plea. This too has not worked, and the women are currently awaiting a hanging date. According to the National Crime Records Bureau report of 2012, India has 414 convicts on death row. Of them, 13 are women. So although India is among a minority of countries that still allows capital punishment, 
no woman has been hanged in india since 1955 when ratan bhai jain was convicted of killing three girls she became the first and the only woman to be sent to the gallows sudhir renuka's son now 31 has been religiously visiting his eye in prison for the last 7 to 8 years although he has changed his last name to distance himself he goes to prison every week to meet their mother's lawyer sudeep jaiswal who filed the mercy plea on the sister's behalf in 2010 as well as the most recent petition in the high court in 2014 when sudeep turned 18 he left the juvenile home he rented a room in kolhapur and stayed put doing odd jobs until he could continue studying he had to give up his bcom course in the second year of college due to financial constraints and though he holds a steady job today money is still a concern and uh, that is the case of anjana bai and her daughters renuka and seema who are currently facing death row their crimes horrified the nation and they might be india's most prolific killers preying on the young and helpless thank you all for listening and making it through this brutal case i just want to thank everyone again for the response after episode 1 i will be creating social media pages for in crime so i can promote it better so please follow me on that also please 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 follow the show on spotify and apple podcasts and hit the bell so you get notified every time i post a new episode and i don't have to spam you then um so yes see you soon until then have a good one